This is Studio Insights, a Provost Studio podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Studio Insights, a podcast from Provost Studio. I'm your host today, Tyler Kern. Thanks so much for joining us for another episode here today. Now, on this episode, we're going to be talking a little bit more about LED and some best practices for you to know when it comes to LED. And joining us today as our subject matter expert is Aaron Kipfer. He's the Chief Technology Officer at Neody. Aaron, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. We're pumped to have you here. And joining us once again is Peter Prevost, Associate of AIA and President and Director Director of Design at Provost Studio. Peter, welcome to the show again. Thanks for joining me, man. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, Aaron, let's kick things off by getting to know you a little bit better. Tell us about your role at Neodi and what it is that you guys do. Sure. Well, as you mentioned, I'm the Chief Technology Officer here at Neodi. We've been around for 15 years this year, um, and we are a direct view LED manufacturer based in the Midwest. So our headquarters are based in Indiana. We do manufacturing um, in multiple places overseas, in Asia and in Europe. Good stuff. So tell us a little bit about your uh, about your career in the industry and how you ended up as the CTO uh, of Neodia. Tell us a little bit more about that. Is this something that you saw yourself doing or you just kind of found your way into? Sure, absolutely not. Did not see myself working in this space at all. Uh, when we first started our company, we were part of a digital signage uh, network and we focused our digital signage around the technology of displays. And that gradually morphed into, over the years, in the early years, morphed into LED, direct view LED, um, and using displays in different ways, not just as in TVs scenarios. Um, and so once we started getting into that space, um, my background was in telecom and also in um, the early days of the dot-com boom, working for um, some web development companies and um, telecommunications companies. And so my background was mostly in the technological space. Our CEO was uh, in the technology space as well. And um, so we kind of gravitated towards the technology more so than the digital signage. And that's what led us to actually becoming a manufacturing um, company rather than working in the digital side of space for too much longer. Good stuff. So tell us, you know, a, a little bit about um, what you've noticed when it comes to the growing importance of LED for some of the facilities that we talk about on this show on a, on a pretty regular basis, be it broadcast studios or, or for webinars and that sort of thing. How have you seen LED kind of grow in its importance and in its stature um, for people, uh, especially over the last two years? Sure. Well, when we got into this space, obviously, LED was still in the 20 millimeter, 30 millimeter, 40 millimeter pixel pitch ranges. And as we progressed over the last 15 years, and especially in the last two to five years, um, we've seen the boom of the narrow pixel pitch products. So the 0.9 millimeter all the way up to the 2.5 millimeter products and using those in spaces where they wouldn't even dream of using them, you know, five, 10 years ago because of the cost. Um, and so the biggest change in LED um, since we've been a part of this industry has been the cost has gradually over time come down um, to make it more accessible for people that wouldn't have even thought about it, um, you know, back then. So um, the biggest spaces that we've seen this growing is in the narrow pixel pitch spaces. So things like broadcast studios that we've uh, mentioned, um, things like corporate spaces, control rooms, um, retail spaces, anywhere where you would normally think of putting a TV screen, LED has become 
so popular and so accessible in the way that it displays images that you're starting to get near TV quality in direct view technology, which allows you to have much more flexibility in how you produce displays rather than just being constrained to TVs themselves. Yeah. And I can attest, I can attest to that from, um, you know, like R2 verticals, which is, you know, architecture, interior architecture, branded environments, whether it be, I don't know, custom lobby experiences or, um, I mean, even in, um, uh, podcast rooms or webcast rooms or conference rooms, um, and also on the corporate side in broadcast where typically or historically when it first came out to, to have an LED wall, for instance, would be like crazy to actually consider it. Right. But now because of the, um, I would say two things, the technology from, um, you know, a cost perspective for the LED has come down, but also even like how to control it, right? How to get your content, whatever that is, um, through to some device to the LED has now become a lot easier. Um, so yeah, I, I can definitely attest to those trends happening both in the kind of the interior architecture branded environments world, but then also on the um, broadcast um, side of things, whether it's a studio or a newsroom. So Aaron, what sorts of things do you get asked on a regular basis about LED? What are some best practices or frequently asked questions that you receive from people as they try to determine how do I make this best work for my facility? Sure. Well, you know, some of the biggest questions that we get are related to pixel pitch, um, you know, depending on like the resolution, um, and whether or not it's going to be on camera, that sort of thing. And, and all of those affect what product is right for a certain environment. And so while, you know, you have people who say, I want a 0.9 millimeter product um, because that's quote unquote the best in the industry right now. Um, but then they're going to put in a space where most of the viewers are 20, 30 feet away. You're really overspending for the use of the, of the LED itself, because in that environment, you don't necessarily need to go with the highest pixel pitch possible. While it does produce a great image, you're really overspending for that environment. And so that's probably one of the biggest challenges that we have um, in helping educate the market is buying for what you're actually using it for, um, not necessarily for, um, it's not like buying a TV. When you go to you know a, a box store to buy a TV, you're looking at what is the, what are all the marketing you know, ploys that are there. Is that a 4K TV? Is that an 8K TV? And, you know, as you know, consumers were buying 4K TVs long before there was even 4K content because, you know, they thought they were getting something better than what they, you know, you know, than, than what they should have been because they were technically overbuying for what they needed at the time. Um, and so it's, it's actually a little bit more concerning for the LED industry because, um, if you're never going to change the environment or never going to change the type of use that that LED wall is going to provide for you, then you don't necessarily need to buy, you don't necessarily need to think about future-proofing that LED in terms of resolution. Um, in terms of maybe, uh, like what Peter was saying, the content serving the LED, maybe that would change, or the pieces and parts that make the content happen that may change, but the LED pixel pitch itself, unless there's a 
a, a real reason for that environment to change, then there's no real reason for the LED itself to be more than what you need for it. And so pixel pitch becomes a big question initially out of any, you know, quote or any process where you're speaking to a customer about what they actually need. Um, and even more so in broadcast or studio environments, especially now with like these new studios for like the XR studios where um, things like the Mandalorian and um, other studios like it and other productions like it have kind of jump-started this whole new trend to start using direct view LED in spaces where again, green screens would have been used or something like that. But the challenge there, and even in your local news station, the challenge with putting LED is there is not just the viewing distance, but also the camera distance um, and other distances that you have to make sure that you're providing um, a piece of content or a, a view for the audience that's not going to be distracted by elements of the LED that could be picked up by the camera, such as the moray effect, um, which is kind of where the, it's the effect that you get when you take two say screens and you put them, you overlap them and move them around, you start to get wavy lines and different kind of artifacting. That same type of thing happens when cameras view LED screens because of the grid pattern that LEDs naturally produce are interfering with the grid patterns and size of the sensors of the cameras themselves. And so all of those things are adjustable and all of those things are fixable, but choosing the right pixel pitch again for that application becomes important if somebody's going to be standing right next to a display or if they're always going to be sitting 20 feet in front of the display. You can again change your pixel pitch, which in turn changes the overall cost of that particular project. So it becomes very important. And that's probably one of the most important things, especially for indoor LED that we run into. I, I think to follow up on that, I think what is... Um inherent in the way that we work and that we try to collaborate with our um, design build partners is that from a client perspective, you're not really expected to figure all that out on your own, right? And so when we're brought on early enough, hopefully, um, to define what the scope of the project is, we don't, we don't call Aaron, well, we don't call you at the last minute, but um, we, we bring Aaron and our partners on at the beginning of the project so that we can establish, you know, really how the client wants to use the space um, from a, if it's broadcast, you know, how many shooting areas are they stand up or are they some other configuration where a distance might be five feet or maybe it's 20 feet. And then we can kind of with our with our technology partners um, hone um the the estimate and really just the scope of what the product needs to do and um i i think that's kind of you know for us we we we're not interested necessarily in um we we're not interested in selling the client something that doesn't work for them because ultimately you know we're referral based so we want to make sure that the client's well taken care of well past what we deliver. And so relative to the products, relative to warranties, relative to service, all of that is is super important to our process. So and just to follow up on that, as a manufacturer, that is one of the most important things that we can do as far as teaming up with um, you know designers and integrators is to find like like uh 
people who share the same values. Um, and one of our core values is people. Uh, we say around here, people over product, because, you know, product is one part. Obviously, it's our it's our money maker. It's what we do. But ultimately, what you know, the feeling that you get from providing a quality end result for a customer is obviously more important than the product that we're selling them in general. And for them, it's more important to have something that they feel proud about. And so in order to get that feeling, you have to engage as people from the very beginning to really, like Peter said, to really consult on what is going to be the best fit for their application. And we find that the best way to do that is when everybody is working in tandem to that goal. Because a lot of times what will happen is, especially from a manufacturer's perspective, um, sometimes the manufacturer gets pushed, you know, a little bit to the back because, you know, unfortunately, in this market, um, there are a lot of manufacturers who sell direct and who will, you know, go around, you know, and, and sell in ways that probably aren't the best um, in this space. Um, but because of that, a lot of times the, the person who loses is the end customer because they're just getting something that somebody was willing to sell them just to make a sale rather than having a team of people to say, really evaluate what it is that they need and to not only be there now during the design and the build process, but more importantly, what happens after the sale? Because especially for us, you know, what happens after the sale is the most important thing because again, we're primarily word of mouth. We do a lot of, we do some marketing, but we do a lot of um, referral based business. And the reason why is because we make sure that everybody's taken care of now to five, 10 years from now through the lifespan of that LED, because that's what's going to make when they're looking, when that same customer is looking to make a jump to another, you know, refresh or another, you know, development, that's what's going to keep them coming back. And this is technology. Technology is going to fail. <laughs> well, I think it, you're kind of hitting on a good point there where, um, like for us, when we do design build, obviously we're bringing, you know, the right partners together to deliver the project. Um, you know, I'll give you a theoretical, you know, we may get a client that says, hey, we want to do a studio and it's 1,200 square feet and we want to have uh, LED and we want to have it be 0.9 and can you just send us a quote? And I think that um, that's really not the way we do business, right? I think for us, um, we're less about, you know, trying to win the business through competitive um, pricing, but more winning the business through um, competitive value, right? I, I mean, we're okay if, if at the end of the day we 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 lose an opportunity because the client felt like the other team or teams provided more value um, and more service. Let's just say, um, and and that's really kind of the both the, the kind of clients that we we um, we try to work with or we do work with, and and our I don't even like to call you guys a vendor. I would like to call you a, you know a design build partner. Um, and that that's that's super super important to us, which is again a kind of a common theme in all of these podcasts. So, about on a lot of episodes up to this point is just 
um, the company you keep and how important that is in this business. Um, and that seems to be a big theme that we're talking about here on this episode is just working with people you know and trust and the value that comes with that and the trust that you're able to put in the the partners that you have. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, that's, yes. I mean, Aaron, Aaron knows that we use other technology partners, right? Um, I don't know who else do we have on Mystic. They know that we have other fabrication partners. But at the end of the day, you know, we're kind of selective in who we want to work with. And um, we're very kind of transparent about h- how that all works, right? But the most important thing is that, you know, whoever we kind of bring into the fold kind of shares that same mindset and, um, you know, um, ability to service the client um, beyond kind of the product or beyond the the term of the project. So, yeah, that's a that's a great point. And Aaron, how how does that resonate for for you guys over at Neody? Just when it comes to working with people, you know, when it comes to working on a Provo project and, and that sort of thing. What do you value when it comes to who you work with and the partners that you work with? Aside from wait one second, aside from getting Provo Studios pictures, some some scenery behind him that is awesome. <laughs> aside from that, yeah. So yeah. go ahead, yeah. Aaron. Sure. Uh, no, uh, the, you know we both kind of hit it a little bit. It's it's the sharing that same value system. It's it's not wanting just to make the sale, but wanting to make everyone happy. Um, feeling like, it, you know, everybody likes to work with their friends. You know, everybody's got a friend who does something. And, you know, it, it's kind of the joke in even this industry, but in every industry, it's like, you know, you talk to somebody and they're like, oh, I got a friend that can do that and You're something like that. And so, yeah, I got a guy, I'll just have him handle it. And whether or not that guy's great at what he does, doesn't matter because it's just his guy. And so, you know, that tracks in every industry and in every market, especially when you're working in a manufacturing and design and integrator and, uh, you know, fabricator relationship because this is a very tiered relationship to make these projects happen. Um, And because of that, you have to know who you're working with. You have to trust who you're working with. And you have to all know that you've got each other's back when it comes to when things are going wrong, um, you know, when there's misunderstandings or whatever, because again, in any relationship, there's 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 ebbs and flows of what's happening and what's going on, and so um, all of that, you know, all of that compounded just makes for a better overall end result for the customer, and that's what you know. That's the important part. That's what we're all here for. Um, so you know, we want to make sure that the customer is happy. Definitely, Peter. What else do you want to talk about with Aaron today as it relates to LED? Our, our twenty minutes they fly by on this podcast, and so uh, we almost always uh, run out of time before we're done with things to talk about. But but anything else that you want to hear from Aaron today, especially as it relates to, to LED and the expertise that he has there? Yeah. So I think what I would like Aaron to just clarify for those that maybe don't have the the knowledge that he does, or me, or 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 anyone else that's in the industry. So. Okay, Neody, they're a manufacturer. How does Neody, and then there are these these firms or these people or these consultants called AV integrators, right? So how do you, how does a company like Neody work with AV integrators? And do you always have to have an AV integrator? Um, like what what is your experience and, and your thoughts on that? I mean, as a designer and as a design firm, we have ours, but um, I'd like to hear what, what 
what your thoughts are on it. Sure. Um, you know, as a manufacturer, you know, it is a balancing act, you know, right, just right out of the gate. It's a balancing act on, the on spot. I'm sorry. No, no, you're, you're fine. Um, because, you know, when we, so a little bit of, of our history, when we first got into this business um, of manufacturing, when we went all in and said, okay, we're going to make something that we approve, that we design, that we engineer, that we, you know, produce with our factory and that we're putting our stamp on. And so when we started that process, um, the first thing that we did because of who we were and the contacts that we had, we started in the broadcast television space. In the broadcast television space, at least the ones that we were running up against, they were buying direct from the manufacturer, whether it was because of, you know, whatever reason that was, they were buying direct. And so because of that, we, you know, spend some of our attention towards a certain market segment that does buy direct. Um, however, be, you know, as time progressed, we realized that, you know, we're just the manufacturer. We don't want to spend all of our time you know, in the sales process, because that's not, you know, what we want to focus on. We want to focus on the technology and making it good and then give that to people who were doing that for a living. Um, we were in interested in building a giant sales team. Um, and so because of that, we naturally progressed into talking to integrators and dealers and really pushing into that market and saying, okay, here we are. And in the beginning, it was difficult because some of those same people knew that we were selling direct to certain customers. And so in the beginning, it was a lot of handholding. It was a lot of reassurance. It was a lot of, we're not going to go around you. We're not here for your customers. We're here to serve you. Um, and just because that's how we validated ourselves in the beginning was by selling direct. That's what gave us the knowledge and the understanding and the trial and error even of being able to work with our product because we were new as a manufacturer. And we didn't want to start talking to integrators and dealers and saying, here, buy our stuff. If we, you know, if there were some things that we needed to tweak and we didn't want to use them as guinea pigs because, you know, that's not, you know, some dealers and integrators only give you one shot and then you're done. Um, and so what we did is we spent the first couple of years validating our products, our capabilities, our company as a whole in manufacturing. Um, once we got that and felt like we had a solid ground under our feet, we went into the space for the dealers and integrators and said, all right, here we are. This is who we are. Some of you have worked with us. Some of you have not. Um, and so we started working together with them. And what we found, again, is we continuously gravitate towards those integrators and dealers that share the same kind of values as us. And because of that, um, those are typically the ones that aren't um, aren't afraid that we're going to come in and steal their customers. Obviously, that's what everybody's worried about when you're dealing directly with the manufacturer. And so, you know, we we encourage our any dealer that we work with, any integrator that we work with to work with us, with the customer, to bring us in on any customer conversations that they can, especially when it comes to design and technology and integration of that specific technology. Um, and then that helps the customer feel like they, they have a direct access to the manufacturer, but not so much that they feel like they're threatened by anything. Anybody feels threatened by anything. Um, when it comes to total projects, typically these projects, whether it's a, a boardroom or whether it's a control room or a broadcast studio, there's more than just LED going into these spaces. And so that's where the major value for integration comes in is that 
we don't work with lighting. We don't work with, you know, even, even to the point, we don't necessarily work with content management systems um, or graphic servers, things like that. We don't have the time and energy or the experience to stay up on all of those different things like somebody who does that for a living in the integration space. And so that's where we find the most value in working directly with integrators and dealers is that not only can they become our eyes and ears out in the market, but then they can also package solutions that we wouldn't necessarily have a part of because we would only be one vendor in a much larger scope. Yep, that makes sense. It's a challenging question. Um, and it's one that, you know, we've had a lot of experience answering. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I mean, depending on what um, what project type we're talking about, there's totally different approaches to both. So if we're in broadcast, there's one approach or several approaches, let's just say. And then when we're on the architecture side of things, things are much more, you know, through the GC or through the architect or through us. Um, it's, it's a much more... Um, I don't want to say transparent. It's just there is more of an established hierarchy of how that all works um, on that side versus broadcast. It's kind of uh, yeah. Every market segment seems to have its own yeah, you know, way of doing things. Yep. Yep. So. Aaron, any final thoughts? Anything you want to leave our listeners and viewers with here today as we uh, wrap up our conversation discussing LED and these uh, in these types of settings? Um, well, the one thing I did want to mention real quick, um, in case it's relevant to the edit, um, one of the things that we are focused on for the future at NEOD, and we have some exciting announcements and things coming out next year, um, but part of what we're focused on, um, as, as the industry itself has been focused on getting to much uh, higher uh, resolutions, much smaller pixel pitches down into the 0 0.6, 0 0.5. You know, everybody's racing to pixel pitch zero. Um, you know, ultimately that's great, but you know, what we have been working on uh, revolves more about what is the actual image quality look like. Um, and so some of the problems that we're beginning to solve internally that we'll be launching um, that we're not seeing really addressed a whole lot in this industry is uh, image and picture quality in general um, in this space because everybody's like, every, like I said, everybody's racing to get higher resolution, but not a lot of people. Um, there's a few. I mean, you have Brompton who's kind of taken the reins over the last five years, um, the Brompton control system and um, companies, you know, other manufacturers like Roe who have really kind of honed in on that um, to say, all right, we want to be kind of best in class when it comes to. Um, picture quality and, and things of that nature. Um, but there's some exciting things coming from Neody um, in 2022 that we're um, going to be excited to be um, unveiling. But um, that's, the, you know, ultimately you can only get so high of quality um, of product before you start to price it out of even what the market can handle. Um, and so we start have we have kind of taken a step back to look at, OK, what are some other pain points outside of just getting the highest resolution product out there? Um, and so that's what we've been focusing on for the last couple of years. Um, and that's what our R&D department has been working on. And so we've got some exciting things happening. Thanks, Aaron. I, I appreciate your time and I know you're busy. And um, yeah, thanks. Thanks for being uh a good partner and look forward to 2022. I think we're all going to have some fun and exciting things that we get into. So. Sure.
We'll do another one of these once we uh, change some pictures in the back here. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that'll be Peter's homework before the next podcast is to send Aaron some, right. new, some new pictures for the background. And yeah, we'll, uh, that's right. We'll make it happen. We'll make it happen. Well, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Studio Insights. And thank you again to our guest today, Aaron Kipfer, for joining us. Uh, so make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to stay up to date with the latest episode of Studio Insights from Provost Studio. And stay tuned. We'll be back soon with the latest episodes of the show. But until then, for my guests today, Aaron and Peter, I've been your host, Tyler Kern. Thanks for joining us. <laughs>